Welcome to episode 80 and the first of 2022 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest insight scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend and joining me again this week is fellow analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And boy, the drama continues with the FAA. And so on New Year's Eve, the uh, you know, the, the, the Department of Transportation sent a letter to Verizon and AT&T, I'm assuming T-Mobile as well, asking for another two-week delay on 5G deployment within the C-band spectrum. Now, initially, both AT&T and Verizon pushed back. There was a letter published in the Wall Street Journal. It was very interesting. It was on Verizon letterhead but signed by John Stanky, the CEO of AT&T, and Hans Festberg, that's the CEO of Verizon, pushing back, explaining that they're willing to enlarge the exclusion zones around airports, pointed to France as an example of that, where uh, US airlines are operating today. But a few days later, they acquiesced. And so the drama just continues on this. And, you know, I read through that letter that was posted to the Wall Street Journal, and both CEOs did point to the fact that, hey, the Treasury collected over $80 billion in revenue. From my perspective, you know, if, if there are these concerns around, you know, outdated altimeters and that sort of thing, let's go to the Treasury, let's go to the FCC, let's, let's procure a couple of billion dollars and take care of this. I mean, the carriers have already paid for the spectrum, and it's ridiculous for them to continue to have to be blocked on getting um, this, uh, this deployment in the C-band spectrum because it's mission critical to both Verizon and AT&T from a mid-band perspective. But what's your perspective, my friend? I, um, I think I take an even more aggressive stance <laughs> um, because the truth is, is that this was $80 billion to your point. These, right. these filters that they need already exist. Uh, they're already deployed in Europe. Um, most commercial aircraft uh, need them because they're going in places where it's already deployed. Yeah. Um, everybody knew the spectrum was going to be utilized. So this isn't a surprise to anyone. Uh, I, I think this is a very clear example of the FAA and all of its stakeholders uh, choosing to wait until the 11th hour, which I would call November, um, <laughs> maybe end of October, which is when they started raising these concerns. Um, when this was supposed to be something that launched in December. So really this January delay is another two weeks on top of the month delay we already had, right? Yeah. So, and then there were stories that came out that said that the FAA and the FCC never really even achieved anything over the holiday, the, the pre-holiday meeting. Right. Um, there was no kumbaya moment. Um, and, and, and my belief is that there is there are very clear um, disagreements uh, separations between the FAA and FCC. Um, FAA is a part of the, to your point, Department of Just, uh, Department of Transportation. Yeah. And that is Pete Buttigieg's, he's the secretary, right? So it's his job to be responsible for a Department of Tr Transportation. And ultimately, I think he has failed to do his yes. job. I um, agree. Because the FAA is part of Department of Transportation, which is part of the executive branch, while the FCC is actually part of um, the congressional oversight. So we have different groups overseeing these different agencies and they're not working together and they should be. Right. Um, and truthfully, I, you know, I've heard people say that this, this C-band uh, 
issue has been a continued problem for decades. Um, and that this is something that the FAA likes to bring up every so often uh, as a problem, but doesn't actually address. So this is kind of an unfunded problem um, that no one wanted to pay for. Yeah. Now there's 80 billion plus on the line, because let's be honest, it's more than $80 billion that's on the line. Exactly. And I just think that this is um, a, a perfect example of uh, government failure. Um, yeah. Whether you want to blame the Trump administration or the Biden administration, I think this goes far beyond both those administrations. Um, and even, you know, previous FCC chairs. Um, I just think that this is a continued failure on multiple levels, and it just needs to be dealt with. And there are already existing filters out in the market today that, from multiple vendors that can be installed in aircraft. Um, I've seen them. I've done the research. It's a thing. So the fact there, there is no good excuse other than the money. And that's yep. why I think this entire discussion ultimately boils down to the FAA and their stakeholders want a piece of that $80 billion. They do. Yeah. And, you know, just to your job, to your point, you know, Mayor Pete, Secretary Pete, I'm assuming that he's not that technology savvy and, and understands the real issues. And so he's pushing paper and, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, the FCC brought in, you know, in excess of 80 billion. So save off a couple of billion to pay for these altimeters and, and be done with it and quit putting the operators at risk here because there's an opportunity cost with all of these delays. So we'll continue to monitor this. And I'm sure you and I will talk about this on future podcasts, but CES is happening this week. And it's as a lot of folks expected as a sort of a shadow of its former self, even this year as well with the surge in Omicron. But there, there are a lot of announcements coming out of CES. I've been tweeting a few, but you wanted to provide a, an overview of uh, what you're seeing as significant from the show this week. So take it away. Yeah, so usually CES is not a big smartphone show. That's usually MWC, mm -hmm. or over the last couple of years, it's just been every vendor does their own thing at their own pace, right? They've yeah. kind of moved away from the big show yep. um, right. model. But Apple because does their of the, deal, right? And Samsung does Unpacked, right? Yeah, so it was really interesting to see this year that we actually got a lot of smartphones that launched at CES, um, which isn't really something that's happened for quite some time. And I've been covering smartphones for over a decade. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it was really interesting to see, you know, one, all these phones are 5G phones. Um, and two, that Samsung, OnePlus, TCL, Vivo, Nokia, all launched phones at the mm -hmm. show. Um, so we got, uh, Samsung with the Samsung Galaxy S21 Fan Edition, also known as the FE. Um, it's usually last year's S20 was a very popular device. Um, and it looks like the S21 FE is getting a lot of good reception because it's got a great processor, great price, lots of good features. Um, overall, it's very well received by um, the industry. Uh, and then OnePlus kind of teased their OnePlus 10 Pro which will actually debut in China first, um, which is very uh, atypical for them. Um, because, but because of their integration into Oppo Group or, or deeper integration into Oppo Group, um, that's probably why they launched in China first because of the similarities between their software. Um, then TCL launched uh, the 30 series of 5G phones, including the 30V and the 30XE. 
Um, and these are much more budget devices. They're designed to, you know, hit a very specific price point. Um, and they have a lot of good features for the money, um, which is kind of TCL's thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And then Vivo launched the V23 Pro and Nokia launched the G400. So these are both um, very budget devices. Yeah. And uh, the big one that I think a lot of people are going to miss or not know that happened at CES was AT&T came out with their own phone. Um, and they launched a $220 5G millimeter wave phone. So um, I believe it is actually the cheapest um, millimeter wave capable 5G phone. Um, I think, I I don't think there is one anywhere else in the world um, because they, uh, most of these cheaper 5G phones don't support millimeter wave. Um, which means that this phone will not be a MediaTek-based device. It's going to have to be a Snapdragon. Um, But it's it's called the Fusion 5G, and it's it's literally 220 bucks. So I think um, when you look at this phone, it's definitely going to be something that uh, AT&T will use to increase their user base of 5G phones and getting people off of these slower 4G devices. Um, They might even give it away for free, but... Honestly, I think at 220, they're probably already taking a considerable yeah, uh, hit. I would think so. I mean, is that, Anshul, is that, is it designed for prepaid or postpaid or both? Um, both, from what I can tell. Uh, I didn't really see anything, but they, they had a monthly price on it. Yeah. Um, I think uh, they, they just want people to switch to it. Uh, yeah. It'll be available on the 7th when this publishes. So um, you'll be able to go and get it right then and there. They're, they're offering it for six bucks a month. Wow. So um, <laughs> that's a very small price to pay to upgrade to 5G. And, sure. um, you know, they're obviously pushing their uh, unlimited plans starting yeah. at $35 a month when you get four lines. So yeah. they want as many people to switch to 5G as possible, especially with mid-band potentially coming soon. Um that, you know, the, the more 5G users you have on your network, the more efficiently you use your spectrum and the faster everybody's connections are. Yeah, no, that should that should get grandma and grandpa, you know, to get off their, their 3G handsets, right? <laughs> and, and move to 5G. But wow, that's a pretty compelling price point. So um, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, like, like you mentioned, there aren't often a lot of smartphone announcements, but it sounds like there were a bevy of them. And I know you're going to talk about Samsung and Qualcomm, um, with your second topic, but let me jump to my second topic. I want to talk about DISH. And the big question, and I'm asking myself as we pop into the new year, are they going to miss their deadline to meet their 20% coverage requirement for their 5G deployment? If you recall, you know, in fourth quarter of last year, DISH was talking about having, you know, a proof of concept ready at CES, where they would be demonstrating um, what they claim to be over 100, you know, towers that were lit up. And there was none of that at CES this week that, that, that I could tell. And so what's really critical here is that, you know, even software defined and, and open RAN has complexity. Um, operators talk about the agility. Rakuten talked about, has talked about the agility. They've been the poster child for open RAN and, and SDN and cloud native, but it requires a different set of ecosystem partners and integration challenges and as we look at Rakuten, they've had challenges in the past as well, and they've had delays. So 
what's happening now is that as we enter the new year and we're in the new year, obviously, DISH has a requirement that they have to have 20% of the US population covered by mid-June or they're gonna owe huge penalties, $2.2 billion in penalties. So where they're at now and where they need to be, you know, in less, you know, in about six months, I think it's gonna be a stretch for them, but would love to get your insight. I think um, you're right to question their ability to deliver on time. They've already shown that there are some delays um, and they've delayed more than once, right? So um, I think they've gotta, they've gotta show us proof that they have something and CES was their opportunity to do so. You know, I, I think um, CES is a good way to kickstart something like, you know, WiMAX did. They use CES yep. to launch WiMAX. Um, and let's be honest, Vegas is supposed to be the primary launch opportunity for Dish. So the fact that they missed that, in my opinion, does not bode well. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, growing out a, a 5G network isn't easy. Um, there's going to be Dish and there's also going to be Verizon and AT&T and all three of them are going to be aggressively trying to roll out their networks while T-Mobile is also doing the same thing. So um, mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of network rollouts this year. And I'm not really sure whether Dish um, has the resources in place to make that happen. Yeah. I mean, they've acquired through the divestiture that was required of T-Mobile some prepaid subscribers and they claim over a million. And so that's likely where they're going to start. But the money's in postpaid. And so they're going to really have to focus on differentiation relative to the established incumbents. And we've talked about T-Mobile. They are clearly in the pole position with respect to deployment uh, with low band and, and mid band. And really, honestly, DISH is going to have to come up with some sort of unique value proposition, some sort of differentiation. About a year ago, I read an article and kind of spoke to, hey, you know, maybe that's IoT. I don't know. But they're gonna to have to find something to hang their hat on because as uh, it's been witnessed with T-Mobile, they were a one trick pony for many, many years with consumer and they saw the value in the acquisition of Sprint merger you know, with Sprint to not only bring them those critical mid-band spectrum assets, but also to bring some enterprise acumen to allow them to compete with AT&T and Verizon that are very well established within the enterprise. So I don't believe this bodes well. I've tried to reach executives. You know, you and I have great relationships with, with all of the carriers, but with Dish, it's sort of a black box. And I've, you know, I've seen Mark Rond, uh, who is the executive vice president of, of Network Buildout. There was an announcement this week about a, a person that's now the president that Mark is going to report under. You know, but you know, from my perspective, they've got a long way to go to hit that that milestone by June. And I don't believe the federal government is gonna give them a stay. They're probably gonna collect that, you know, that penalty. And this has been one of the concerns, and you and I have talked about this on prior podcasts, that you know, DISH has been hoarding Spectrum for quite a while and, and did nothing with it for many, many, many years. And they were really kind of forced into this position. You've got to deploy or you're gonna lose it. So it'll be interesting, we'll keep tabs on it. But let's move to your second topic. And I alluded to this already. You wanna talk about Samsung and Qualcomm. And, uh, you know, they're doing something around 5GNR, right? Yeah, so um, they, 
there, there's a lot of these trials that are going on. Um, and Samsung and Qualcomm managed to work together um, in, a, in a lab setting to essentially reach a new um, peak throughput uh, on uh, Samsung equipment and Qualcomm equipment. So mm -hmm. Samsung networks and Qualcomm handset. Um, and basically what they were able to do is um, combine millimeter wave, 800 megahertz of millimeter wave with 100 megahertz of midband, aggregate those together and they hit um, 8.08 gigabits per second uh, of throughput in the lab. So this is obviously not a commercial network deployment, um, yeah. but what it's showing is that um, we are actually able to get closer and closer to the theoretical maximum of these 5G modems that are in market today. Um, and that it's possible to actually get close to hitting 10 gigs. Um, the real question is whether or not anyone has enough spectrum to right. hit 10 gigs. Um, but we know that eight gigs is now possible um, because it's actually been done on hard, on commercial hardware. Um, but it really comes down to, you know, utilizing a commercial network at this point. Um, and, you know, millimeter wave is still going to be something that's going to be very hard to find. Um, and it's going to be mostly in public areas, mostly in places that are very densely populated. So I think that there will be places where eight gigs might be possible. Um, mm -hmm. But realistically, you know, eight gigs is still going to be something that will be a rarity. Yeah, I agree. It'll, it'll be the exception, not the rule. And, uh, but it's, you know, thinking about eight gigs, that's, that's freaking mind blowing, man. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I actually had a friend post a, um, a, 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 you know, something on Twitter where uh, he was able to achieve um, seven, almost eight gigs on his fiber line. You know, yeah. where, you know, he had a 10 gig uh, fiber drop to his house. So yeah. it's pretty crazy to think that that would be potentially capable, possible over, over 5G. Yeah. Wow. Cool stuff. Well, let's move to my third and final topic this week. We have lots to talk about, so we're probably going to run a little bit longer than normal. But I want to talk about Nokia and Legato Networks. They announced a partnership for deploying LTE and 5G private networking. So what's so unique about the tie-up? Well, from my perspective, as I dug into Legato and their capabilities, they've got some pretty unique mid-band spectrum assets that will allow them to deploy you know, pretty widely both LTE and 5G private networks. And I've spoken about Nokia in the past, relative to their traditional incumbents, they're in the pole position with respect to private wireless. They have the most deployments, um, they've been at it, the longest, and um, I expect, and I spoke to this on a prior podcast, that Samsung is going to step up, and certainly Ericsson with Cradle Point, uh, they'll they'll close the gap. But right now, Nokia is really shining, and this this announcement is really just another proof point that points to Nokia's momentum. I don't know if you had a chance to to read into this announcement, but any insights you want to provide? I didn't get a chance to read into it, but. Um... You know, both both companies have lots of um, name recognition in the space. Mm -hmm. um, so I think them working together will only strengthen both companies' position in private networking. Um, and to your point, everybody else is playing catch up with these guys. So 
Um, I, I think it's a, a recognition of leadership from both companies and wanting to continue to lead in private networking. Yeah. Well, your third and final topic, we, we love talking about conspiracy theories and I always let you take the lead on these, but there's a new one that you want to share. Yeah, so uh, this one comes to us thanks to uh, Mashable. Um, this is a story that was published yesterday. Um, and basically it's kind of, it's based on a lot of these 5G conspiracy theories. Um, but part of it is also because Verizon was Verizon and AT&T were supposed to light up their 5G networks yesterday. Um, yeah. Obviously yesterday they announced a two week delay, um, but there were posts all over um, social media on TikTok, on, on, on the right wing network getter. Um, they were saying that when the 5G launches, which already has launched in a lot of countries, yeah. or when it gets turned up, um, some people's heads will explode. Um, and <laughs> someone posted a video of people's heads com- exploding and combusting, which, oh my gosh. whatever, upon the turning up of 5G in Israel. I don't really know what turning up 5G is what exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, there's Facebook posts of people talking about how, you know, you, TikTok and YouTube won't show you that, you know, people's people are sponta- spontaneously combusting due to them turning up 5G today, um, and then talking about the January 5th deadline. Yeah. And then there's um, other people who are talking about how the uh, the the global pandemic announcement of March 11th, 2020, coincides with Verizon AT&T turning on their their new C band on January 5th, which is exactly 666 days apart. Yeah. Um, so, yes, those are the primary uh, conspiracy theories that we're hearing now. Um, yeah. But every time something happens, any kind of event um, that's happening in, in 5G, uh, these conspiracy theorists try to latch on to it because they know that there's going to be a big marketing push from yeah. these companies trying to promote their new 5G networks. And, um, yeah, like there's people posting about on Telegram, the same is Israel 5G head combusting video. Um, and then other people talking about how it's, you know, 666 and number of the beast. Oh my gosh, um, market of the beast. Yeah. You know, I thought initially my theory was this was concern over millimeter wave and the frequency of the spectrum. Nope. And now I'm convinced that it's just insanity. <laughs> yeah i mean this probably would have been a good episode to break out the tinfoil hats again but uh yeah no kidding uh, honestly i i just think that uh this is a, a lot of uh social media and misunderstanding and people sharing stuff and and claiming for it to be real but january 5th was a very popular day for all these people because yeah they thought the 5g networks were going to get launched and you know they were wrong <laughs> Amongst other reasons. Well, I wonder I wonder if some employees from the FAA are a part of this as well. Maybe even I, I doubt Secretary it. <laughs> I'm just I, joking. <laughs> I think um I think in general, if you just look at it, it's very um focused on people that are also against the vaccine. Um some of the posts were talking about how if vaccinated people uh inter in, interact with a 5G network, their heads will explode. So yeah, yeah. um 
it's just a continuation of these conspiracies around 5G and the vaccines. So yeah. there's nothing we can do other than, you know, try to squash these and, and, and make sure people understand what, how 5G really works and, yep. and how it benefits people. Well, that's what we aim to do on our podcast, but it's been a great uh, start to the new year. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide us specific insight on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Will Town Tech and I'm at Onshell Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in again next week.